Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We are continuing our series in the Hurt Church, and I know what you're thinking, what, not a special Father's Day message where we get a couple dads and do Q&A the whole service? No, sorry. Um, we're going to just have church and talk about, uh, talk about the Lord, talk about Jesus. I hope that's good enough for you guys, even on Father's Day. Um, but we, today specifically, we're going to be talking about why so defensive. Why so defensive? So I guess it kind of works for Father's Day in a way. <laughs> that's a bad joke. That's <laughs> why so defensive? If you ever got in an argument, then you, that would make sense. Why are you acting so defensive? And really, my heart in today's message is for us to have self-reflection. For us to have self-reflection as a church. And people in general, when, it, when this topic of uh, why so defensive, people in general often turn to emotionalism when they can't explain their reasoning for something. People often turn to emotionalism when they can't explain their reasoning for something. And the church has not been exempt from this area. And this whole month, we're talking about situations in which people have been hurt by the church and how we as a church need to do better. So many people have been hurt by the church because of religious leaders in the church who simply didn't know how to answer their questions. So many people have been hurt by the church just because a religious leader didn't know how to answer their questions. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with not knowing the answer to something. But there is something wrong with getting defensive to an honest question. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so we as churches, and my heart in today is really that we as the church need to, be, to do better. And we as Christians need to do better. And so... In order to better examine this concept, I want us to examine the church hurt experience of Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at multiple points of view, and we're going to break down how we ought to behave as Christians in some of these scenarios. And a little background about Stephen is that he was chosen by the apostles to to lead and help distribute food in the church. So this is actually an incredibly, seemingly ordinary task. What happened was all the people in the early church started complaining that some of of the non-Jewish believers were getting looked over uh, during the distribution of food and that they were getting treated less than. And there's actually this sense of early racism and segregation within the church. And so the apostles said we have a lot of things to be doing right now as we're healing the sick and and the blind and and preaching the word and we should really attribute our uh we should really do what only we can do and for this task a lot of people could be able to do this so let's delegate and they prayed they fasted and they chose seven different men one of which was stephen and so it's really a seemingly ordinary task just like setting up chairs just like getting on the prayer call right just like bringing food uh, to, for church on Sunday, all these volunteer spots that we have at our church. And even though it was a seemingly ordinary task, Stephen was a, spir- a, a very genuinely spiritual person. And so what happened during this ordinary task is that miracles would follow. So that just as the food was being distributed to believers, to, to, to the poor, 
that he was preaching the good news, that he was teaching people, that he was even performing miracles. He was just praying for people in line, and they were getting healed. And so he used his spot in an ordinary place, and because he was genuinely spiritual, miracles started happening. And from, from here, I want us to pick up in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. See, that's, what, that's the problem I have. Is that I start speaking, people just don't even know how to cope with it. All right, y'all going to be the tough today. I was making a joke, but all right. Just know that today, it being Father's Day, I'm going to pull out all my dad jokes just within the sermon. Just, it's, it's my right. So it goes on to say, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said this man does not stop speaking against the holy place and the law for we have heard him say that this nazarene jesus will destroy this place and change the customs which moses had it down to us and all who were sitting in the council stared at him and they saw his face which was like the face of an angel now the high priest whoops now the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Listen to me, brothers and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Now from here, Stephen gives this long dialogue where he starts exa- uh, bringing about and examining scriptures through timelines and specific events. And he starts bringing all together, starting from Abraham, proving that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And so he gives a uh, an abundance of scripture and and now let's pick up back in verse 51 chapter 7 and then it says you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the holy spirit and you are doing just as your fathers did which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute so if you can't tell if you uh Stephen's saying this to the religious leaders these are what's called fighting words So he's now talking trash to them after his long dialogue proving scriptures and saying that they're they're stubborn and hard hearts, that they're not willing to listen to reason. And it goes on to say, They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were infuriated, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Now, anytime you see that in Scripture, it kind of sounds weird, like gnashing their teeth. That means if you've ever been so mad that you start talking like this, I, yeah, see, Sierra knows. Uh, <laughs> I, especially as a dad of three, I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> Get down from there right now. So that's what's happening. They're that infuriated that they're gnashing their teeth as they're, uh, as they're getting more and more angry. And, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, 
Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So this is where we're going to pause for a moment. And I want us to just go into our first point, which is, what do you know? What do you know? The best thing to ever say in an argument when someone is trying to talk to you. What do you know? And there are several comparisons to pull from this passage. One of which is that we can compare Stephen and the religious leaders. We're going to compare Stephen and the religious leaders. They both were passionate about what they believed. Think about that for a moment. They both were passionate in what they believed. A lot of times with emotionalism, especially in modern day churches, we focus on that word passion. We focus on passion and feelings. And passion can be very good. But I want us to both understand that they were both passionate. And they both were passionate about what they believed, but Stephen was the only one that was based in his beliefs. He had foundation to his beliefs. And what I mean by that is, he knew exactly why he believed what he believed. See, Stephen knew, uh, he knew why he believed what he believed. And that's why we have a value at our church that you should always know why you believe what you believe. The religious leaders, however, the Pharisees were holding on to their feelings towards their traditions. See, Stephen was holding on to the entirety of Scripture pointing to this belief system of his while the Pharisees were ignoring all of what he was saying because they felt more passionate towards their traditions within their religion than they did with any kind of interpretation that Stephen had. And the religious leaders are constantly and consistently being led by their feelings and their emotions, which is typically a slippery slope. All throughout the Gospels, we see the Pharisees acting emotionally. They, uh, they, they act out in anger. And it always, their excuse for anything evil that they do, even when it comes to crucifying Jesus and, and getting false witnesses. I mean, the, the Bible specifically says in the Old Testament that, it is, that we should not use false witness. It's one of the Ten Commandments to not bear false witness. And so the, the Pharisees, they would excuse their behavior by, by using their passion. Well, it's because we're passionate. We, we, we just know that this is right. And see, they consistently use their feelings to justify their wrong acts, their, their inappropriate actions. And when I say that this is a slippery slope, I want to be clear in what that means. Slippery slope is a real philosophical term, and it's the idea or course of action that will lead to something unacceptable, wrong, or disastrous. So it's the, it's the idea that if you make it something okay right now, if I say that a white lie is okay if it's used for right reasons, that is a slippery slope because then what's to say that one day down the line you will later justify a bigger lie because the slippery slope you started on in justifying the small lie. And so when we use our feelings to justify our actions, uh, it, it's or I should say when leaders us or leaders, anyone for that matter, start making accusations or assertions based on feelings, the results will often become detrimental because it's a slippery slope. They will become detrimental as well as the person or people 
that, are, are, that use those feelings to make those assertions, accusations, that person or people will come out looking like psychopaths. It, I, I don't know any politer way to say it. The Pharisees, when you look at the way that they interact in Scripture, they seem like complete psychopaths. And what I've seen within the church, when people use their emotions to justify their unjust behavior, they seem crazy. As they try to explain themselves, I just know. They, that, that nine times out of ten, that sounds crazy. Especially when people are trying to articulately communicate. It's different when it's in marriage, okay? Let me make that clear. <laughs> that, that's the only exception to the rule. <laughs> but there are, there are times when we get those gut feelings that we can trust. Those time, there are times where the Holy Spirit just gives you this like intuition. Yes, but... There are also many times where the scriptures, Jeremiah 17, 9 and Proverbs 28, 26 prove true. Those scriptures say the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. That, let that sink in. It, Proverbs says one who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but one who walks wisely will flee to safety. So if we understand Yes, there's times where we have intuition, but many times, even the Bible tells us not to just simply trust our gut feelings, not to always trust our heart because it can deceive us. I mean, just, just think about the last time you were hungry and how many people you fought with that day. Your heart deceived you to think that, it, that you were mad at them when really you were just fussy. You're just hangry. Your heart will deceive you. And we must get to a point as the church, as Christians, to understand that feelings are not enough. That feelings are not enough. That saying, that, that idea of knowing deep in your heart, I just know deep in my heart that it's not enough. And I want you to think about for a moment all of the people that believe the complete opposite of you. That all of the people that have completely different belief systems than you, different faith than you. And, but they believe what they believe for most of the same reasons as you. I just know. I just know this is right. You know how many Christians I've heard say that? Well, I just know. I would ask Christians, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, I just know that it, he's the way. I just know. And I argue the fact, well, maybe you just feel that way because you, and you grew up in a Christian home and that's all you've known. And so you just feel like you know. But do you really know why? And most Christians are like, ah, well, I just, I just know. I don't know how to explain it. I would ask that same question to other belief systems. I would ask it to, to Muslims. Well, why do you believe that? I just, I just know. To, to Mormons, well, I just know. To Jehovah Witnesses, well, I just know. And you know what? Whenever I start investigating of why they really believe that, they usually start getting angry. Whether it was a Christian, whether it was a Jehovah Witness, whether it was a Muslim, whether it was a Mormon... It, they always start getting irritated when they can't explain why they believe what they believe. But the, the thread that connects them all together is being led by their feelings. I just know. And like it, uh, I want us to think about the cases where it's right, even. Because I, 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 I know that this might even come across as like heresy to some of us. Like, no, I know. And I know what he's saying, and I get that, but it's different because God has just given me a special gift. 
That may be so. But I want us to argue this. I want to point out this thought. Think about the times where that gut feeling is right. Think about it for a moment. Like, for example, when a mom is telling a daughter that a certain boy is bad for her. That's a gut feeling, right? And it's typically right. I would argue that that's not even a gut feeling. But that what the mom really is, has, more than a gut feeling, is that she really just has an unarticulated reasoning based off of her experiences as a teenager. She's been through it too. She may not know how to articulate those experiences or the reasoning, but it comes in the form of a gut feeling, but what it really is, is her experiences being trying to teach her daughter. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So even that has a better explanation than what most people have as the reason for what they believe in their faith. Y'all feel me? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> so, even in that case, it's more logical than most of the people who have used their gut feelings to play judge and jury in the world. The other comparison that I want to make is that, is that there's this really shallow understanding of Scripture, and then there's a deep understanding of Scripture. There's a shallow understanding of Scripture, and there's a deep understanding of Scripture. The religious leaders were holding on to single points of Scripture as they used them to accuse Stephen. They were holding on to single verse Scriptures to, as, as single points of reference to accuse Stephen, while Stephen defended himself using the entirety of Scripture. Do y'all see the difference? And... The, the accusations that they gave were taken out of context to try to prove a point, while the defense was proven by Stephen by simply sharing the, more scripture. Where else have we seen something like that? Maybe when the devil was tempting Jesus, he used single reference scripture, single points of scripture to try to tempt Jesus. Just like these Pharisees and religious leaders try to use single points of scripture to try to accuse and condemn. What I'm getting at is using just single one-liners is not enough. That's shallow. That's shallow. And many churches have, have scarred and hurt people by using those one-liners as a reason to believe something silly. When we look at the entirety of scripture, we can grasp such a better understanding of what we believe. And the reason that this is meaningful is because it shows the beauty and power of Scripture working cohesively to create doctrine to, and, and to improve perception. Even just for our church, uh, we have Lauren labeled as co-pastor. And man, that really made some people mad. Like, Lauren, is, uh, she should not be allowed to, to, to preach or be labeled as co-pastor. She can help with the kids. She can't be a leader. And... And I, I, would, I remember these certain people would use those one-line verses in, in Scripture where Paul is giving Timothy, a, a young pastor, advice in an area where most women were pagan, uh, were pagan priestess leading their prostitute uh, worship centers and were being converted to Christ and trying to undermine Peter, uh, Timothy's leadership. And he, Paul's giving him advice. And I would, I would give, give all this historical background. I would give all these references to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, of women being in power and in leadership, and how God consistently would use women just as much as men. And at, after I would give this long explanation, pulling all these scriptures, getting all this understanding from all these different sources, 
in the Bible, I'll just get the one line verse repeated to me. Yeah, well, it says this, though. <laughs> it's like, well, that's shallow, man. That's shallow. Don't you think that you should go a little deeper in your faith? That you should investigate and, and, and try to pull good doctrine, healthy, healthy perception by examining all of Scripture rather than taking one verse out of context? And I really believe that uh, it's sad to see how most religious leaders have attacked people by operating in this shallow kind of understanding. And I believe that many church leaders have squandered their energy and time by learning foolish concepts, foolish concepts and ideas within Scripture rather than investing in solid doctrine and apologetics. I really believe that pastors and and leaders in the church should have a much more well-rounded idea of apologetics and their doctrine than being able to take a bunch of random doctrines out of scripture, out of context and say, these are 52 steps to activate the Holy Ghost. Just, just really complicated, obscene ideas within scripture. Pastors trying to, to make sense of, of uh, what heaven is like when there's very few references and explanations of heaven in scripture and pastors that make themselves out to be experts of heaven and hell. And it's like, Dog, you don't even understand like good doctrine, and you, but yet you understand the, the vast mysteries of heaven and hell? So many leaders have squandered their time, and how do those people react when they're questioned? With anger and when, with emotion. This is what I'm trying to get at, is that when you strive to really know why you believe what you believe, it goes beyond, well, this says this. This says this. And it goes into the depth of understanding more of God's heart. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So, as we are are making these comparisons between Stephen and the Pharisees, let's go on to our next point by considering this story in Acts chapter 7, verse 57. So we know what uh, Stephen just just called out all these religious leaders, and they get pretty mad. And then uh, then then Stephen starts saying, I see Jesus sitting at this, the right hand of the Father. And at this, it says that, but they shouted with, with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of the young man named Saul, who later becomes Paul. But this le- next thought, I want us to think about this idea of, are you listening? Are you listening? See, these religious leaders in this scenario, they're definitely not listening. In fact, not only are they not listening, but they're refusing to even hear what Stephen is saying. They're covering their ears and rushing to attack him. Not only, uh, I want us to understand that we grow best through conversation. We grow best through conversation through conflict and through collaboration. When you, have a, when you have a disagreement with someone, that's a conflict. When you have a conversation about it, when you have collaborations where you're willing to talk through something even though there's different opinions, that is the best way to grow. Not to have a unilateral idea and, and have no objection to it. Wait a minute, isn't that kind of like our government? <laughs> it, to oppose every other idea is just unhealthy. It, it hinders growth. 
And when we refuse to allow these things, like conversation, like conflict, like collaboration, we feed nothing except our pride and our ego. We only feed our pride and our ego. And we never really get to better ourselves, to better others, to better our communities. Think about it. The Bible says iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. What does that really look like? Is that just two people like, you look great today. No, you look great today. And just complimenting each other over and over. No, it's rubbing each other the wrong way sometimes. It's having conflict. It's having criticism. It's having, it's having this bettering of oneself and it makes each other sharper. So if iron sharpens iron like that, as one person sharpens another, refusing any these kinds of interactions will only make you dull and out of touch. Wait a minute. That sounds like a lot of church services today, doesn't it? <laughs> dull and out of touch. And what I want us to understand is that many churches damage people because they aren't willing to listen. Many churches damage people because they aren't willing to listen. I want to be clear in what I'm talking about. Because not only has the church stunted its maturity and its growth because of its unwillingness to listen, but it has closed the hearts of so many people by closing its ears to reason. Many church leaders have turned the knives out on people. Many church leaders have turned the knives out on people for being curious or confused about a topic. Being genuinely curious or confused about a topic. And it has been, that kind of aggression has only caused people to abandon their faith, to lose all their trust in the community of church, and it has even created enemies of the church. So where people who have been hurt in this way, they not only uh, want to fight back because of the ill treatment of the church, they not only want to fight back against that church, but they now have a vendetta against all churches. They didn't even do anything wrong. And they're like, no, all churches are bad because of the one bad experience they had. And what I'm trying to get at is that rather than trying to close our ears to questions, rather than trying to close our, our, our ears to ideas or even criticisms, that we should listen and think critically. Listen and think critically. If something makes you angry, ask yourself, why does it make you so emotional? Why does it make you so emotional? Is it because you don't know how to respond? Is it because they have a point? Is, it, is, there, val is there validity in what they're saying? Allow yourself to be uncom in uncomfortable situations in order to grow from them. Allow yourself to be in uncomfortable situations in order to grow from them. Because the moments that you don't have the answer it gives you an opportunity to actually grow your faith by investigating and finding out that answer and learning more to understand why you believe a certain way. You know, when we first started the church, I expected people to have uh, like these, all these questions and thoughts about like doc, about like theological truths and, and defending the faith. And I had all these like answers and, and uh, conversations ready but I was really surprised that most of the things that people 
would want to fight me about were things that I thought no one would ever even think of questioning. I, I really was not expecting people to be mad that Lauren was labeled as co-pastor. <laughs> I, I was not expecting for people to be mad that we don't practice uh, Passover, that, that we don't uh, have our service on Saturday for Shabbat. I, I wasn't expecting people to be mad at the things that they were mad about. And it was all questions within that would align within doctrine. And at first I was just like, are you serious? And I would feel almost taken back. And I would want to just be like, you're dumb. <laughs> like so many of us would never say, right? We, we only say that in our head. But that's what I would really think is like, man, this is such a dumb thing to want to even talk about. I can't believe I have to defend this. <laughs> But rather than just running away from it, throwing those people out of the church, yelling and screaming, hooping and hollering, I, I, did, I, I would ask myself, well, why, why were they not satisfied with the answer that I gave? And what, was that a good answer? And I, it really forced me to want to learn good doctrine to where if it wasn't for the people that really rubbed me the wrong way, if it wasn't for the accusations, if it wasn't for the criticisms, if it wasn't for those uncomfortable situations that I didn't have an answer for at the time, I wouldn't have got the solid doctrine that I, I really have a, a confidence in what I believe now beyond just believing in Jesus Christ. Now I, I have confidence in like the little things that I didn't even think that mattered before. Before I was only confident in the big things. Now I'm confident in the little things. And see, that is what's significant of allowing yourself to be in those kinds of uncomfortable situations. Rather than just saying, well, the Bible says it's a sin. Of really being able to articulate in a way to someone why you believe that. To where it's not just a screaming match back and forth. Even last night, I had uh, uh, some Mormons come to my door. And, and they knocked on my door kind of hard. So I, I was, oh, actually, whenever no anyone knocks on my door hard, like the police... I, I initially get like attention within me, like I'm about to bust these people up. I got kids that I just put asleep. I, and so I was right away just from the knock, I was like, all right, this is a fight. <laughs> I opened the door and then they were wearing their, the, the Mormon uniform, the, the white shirt with the, the tie and everything. And some young kids and it said elder so-and-so on their shirt. I was like, okay. And at first, what, what is our, our normal response to someone that knocks on our door that we know right away doesn't believe what we believe? Slam the door in their face. Tell them that, start yelling at them and saying that they believe in, uh, in a false doctrine. They're false teachers. And start just yelling at them. And instead, I was like, man, this is a perfect time to practice what I'm preaching tomorrow. And, and I was just as polite as I could be, and I was just explaining of why... I didn't believe in their, their doctrine. I mean, for me, uh, as much as, as, much as uh, Mormonism will try to claim that they are a branch of Christianity, I believe that it's completely heretic. Uh, I, I don't just uh, not agree with, I completely disagree with, with uh, just about all of their belief systems. But be that as it may, I was polite to them, and I simply would just explain... I, how I didn't agree with a lot of the points, and I named the certain points of doctrine that I don't believe in. And I then asked them, 
uh, of, to better understand what they believe. Because some of the belief systems, I'm telling you, when I read their belief systems, I was like, this can't be real. <laughs> and as they explained to me more of their beliefs, I was like, okay, just wanted to make sure that, <laughs> that what I read wasn't like a, a satire page or something. For example, one of the things that they believe in is, he said, well, we have a, even an explanation about um, how you can be saved through, uh, through Jesus and water baptism, even if you weren't baptized and someone dies. And they believe in baptizing dead bodies, which I, I, I'm sorry if you believe that. I really don't agree, uh, agree with that or believe that. And I, and I just was polite about it, though. And I explained of how I really believe that all of that is just putting our own works on the contingency of Jesus' salvation. And that I strongly believe that we are, we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus alone. And, and then I shared with them my testimony of how I gave my life to Christ. I even shared with them of, of this big, one of the big reasons why I don't agree with them is because I feel like it gives a strong sense of unworthiness of God's love. Now you have to constantly work to earn God's favor and love. They believe that even in the afterlife, you don't just... You don't just die and go to either heaven or hell, that you have to actually lead wicked people and you have to work out, uh, uh, you have to earn uh, heaven by working the afterlife. And so it's almost like a second chance of the second chance. And I just went on to say of how I don't believe it, that, but also how I really uh, experienced that sense, strong sense of unworthiness through abuse in church. And then I see the same trends in their belief system. And this, these young guys start saying, you know, I've struggled with feelings of unworthiness too. I've struggled with a lot. A lot of my brothers have struggled with deep thoughts and feelings of unworthiness. Thanks for sharing that. And then I added them on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're going to be my friend though. Even though we don't agree, let's be friends on Facebook and maybe we can have a, a conversation later on. See that collaboration even though we, we didn't come to this, this place of agreement, I said, well, let's still stay connected so that maybe we can have a conversation later on. Maybe later on you want to you have questions about my faith. I can talk to you still because I'm not going to destroy something and close my ears to you. I'm going to listen to what you have to say and still articulate what I have to say. And then guess what? Guess how it ended? I said, can I pray for you guys? <laughs> Let me pray for you. And I prayed for these boys and they were grateful. It was this, this, this beautiful interaction in which they didn't leave saying, I'm a Protestant Christian now. But they left feeling edified. They, they're going to the, gonna remember how a Christian treated them. And, and if they ever want to come back, I left a bridge that was not burned for them to be able to go back to. See, that is what I'm trying to talk about when I'm saying, are you listening because a lot of people that have accusations against the church, they really just want to be heard. They want to be listened to because so often we discredit what people are going through. Take anxiety, for example. You know what the church's number one response to people going through anxiety? You just got to praise God. Just praise the Lord and it will go away. That may happen for some people. I'm not saying that that's impossible, but... People that have been going through anxiety have tried that, and then they're like, well, I still have anxiety. You just need to believe. You just need to believe. Also, it's all based off of how much energy and thought I can perform in my belief system, and then it will go away. So it is dependent off of me and not dependent off of God. You see how it's a circular reasoning. 
And there's so many people that have been damaged just for, for having anxiety. People have been told that they have demons, that they're possessed by demons for having anxiety. Why? Because when, when an innocent person genuinely is trying to talk about the anxiety that they have to a church leader, the church leader closes their ears, says, no, 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 that's not of God. You just need to praise. You just need to pray. Pray it away. And the church has not been listening. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And those responses, guess what? It's not even necessarily biblical. It's not. So I want us to understand that rather than trying to close our ears to questions and criticisms and ideas, to really allow ourselves to listen. Now let's close out with our last thought by unpacking this last part of the story. Jumping back to Acts chapter 7, verse 59, it says, They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Oh, come on, guys. You can let me know. <laughs> it says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. It's a polite way of saying that he died. And I want us to imagine this scene. This started out, think about this for a moment. This started out as a conversation. Where, where Stephen was simply sharing his beliefs. But it was to the wrong religious leaders. <laughs> he was just sharing his beliefs. And it escalated so far to the point where they dragged him out of his spot where he was just serving soup. They dragged him out, brought him before a mob, and as they were accusing him and getting angrier and angrier, he makes a solid defense for his, what, what he believes in. He's, not, he, he's being innocent as he's sharing. And as they keep accusing him, he, he's like, I've had enough. You guys are... You guys are vipers and hypocrites. And I was like, all right, let's stone him now. Let's kill this guy. And as they are stoning him to death, as they're throwing these rocks, as they're beating him, imagine the scene where he's, I don't know if he's running away. I don't know if he's staying in the same spot. But there's this point where he knows that he's going to die. There's a point where he knows he's going to die. And he says, Jesus received my spirit. Notice the exclamation mark there. He's crying out, probably barely able to get the words out, and he knows he's going to die. He says, Jesus received my spirit. That makes me feel a little bit better on this one thing. That even Stephen, he's obviously a super saint, right? Like, if, you know, like super saiyan? <laughs> he's super saint. He's already beyond like what all of us normal saints can do and he's like in super saint he's super saint two at this point and <laughs> some dragon ball z references for you guys <laughs> and the part that makes me feel a little bit better is that even for super saint stephen he's like jesus please let me go to heaven <laughs> so all the times where you've thought like man maybe this is the end of the world and you're like jesus are you sure that <laughs> am i really saved jesus and you're like let me just I'm going to pray extra tonight just in case it's the rapture tomorrow. <laughs> Anytime that you've ever doubted your salvation and were like, Jesus, please take me when you come back. 
Even Stephen thought like that. <laughs> Please take, let, receive my spirit, Jesus. But back to the seriousness of this. He, then he cries out, don't hold this sin against him. See, this leads us to this last thought, which is don't make the same mistake. In Stephen's dying breath, he makes the most powerful display of forgiveness. And it's in, the, in this moment that he yells out forgiveness for his attackers as his dying breath. His dying breath is forgiveness for his attackers. The intensity of this scenario, I don't feel like we can really comprehend it because in the U.S., it, it's, we're not persecuted like this. In other countries, they're really persecuted. In India, there's groups of... Uh, Hindu extremists that go around slaughtering and massacring genocide of Christian believers. In, in China, they go through villages. Not only do they put them in concentration camps, but they also will, uh, will they'll do even just passive stuff. Like they take uh, elderly women that have crosses up in their, their little village home. They take them off of their country's uh, uh, food system. They deprive them of all government assistance. Because they say, if you want to worship anyone, worship our government. Worship your leaders instead of this Jesus. And see, we don't experience persecution like Stephen did, but there is persecution like this. And I want us to focus on this tone of forgiveness, forgiveness in reference to being hurt by churches. Because so many people, they get hurt by church and they abandon the church. All churches are the same. All men are the same, right? I believe that God desires to redeem our painful experiences. God desires to redeem our painful experiences, but those redemption stories are best seen when forgiveness for the pain has been given. Those stories of redemption best happen when forgiveness for that pain has been given. Forgiveness is like the key to the door of redemption. This door of redemption that we all want to go through in life. Forgiveness is a key to it. On the contrary, though, or as comparison, bitterness is often more like a hallway to an open room of repeated mistakes. Bitterness is like a hallway, while forgiveness is like a key. And I, time and time again, I've seen people, I've seen bitterness cause people to project the very thing that hurt them onto other people. I've seen, I've seen uh, moments in, in people's marriages where a mom that can't forgive the husband it has so much bitterness, and rightly so, most of the time. And as they project all the, the bitterness and hatred that they feel towards the husband, what I've, I've seen this happen so many times, the, the very things that they would accuse the husband of, not being there, not being around, and all of a sudden, it's a child's birthday, and they're an adult, and the mom is making reasons of why they can't be there, they can't be around. And they end up repeating the very mistakes that they were accusing all the, the bitterness from. Let's, let's look at it on a smaller level, from simple instances like being isolated and left out at a church, but then doing the same thing to others leaving people out, isolating others because y'all don't feel the same way about a topic. 
Or more vicious instances, like being verbally abused by a church leader. You ever have that happen? It's not fun. (laughs) Being verbally abused by a church leader only to later down the line treat someone else as less than human. So many people I've seen verbally abused, and then months later, years later, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's a a civil interaction, a, a co-worker, and them treating someone else less than human by the way they talk. My point is, it's incredibly easy to hurt others the way that you've been hurt. It's incredibly easy to hurt others in the way that you've been hurt. The best way to break the cycle is through forgiveness. And it doesn't make it right. It doesn't justify what has been done. I want to make that completely clear. But it's an acknowledgement of a person's weakness, a person's sinfulness, a person's ignorance. That's what it really is. is acknowledging their weakness, their sinfulness, their ignorance. And in that way, in the way that they interacted with you. And when you do that, you don't have to go back to them. You don't have to interact with them again, unless God tells you to. But you don't have to have this, uh, this, this redemption conversation with them. You can have that space and forgive from afar, unless God tells you different. But when you intentionally forgive like that, you set your mind on doing what is right. What, what, what you're really doing is you're doing what is something truly righteous. Because it's not something that uh, you normally would have to do. It's only within our faith. And what always helps me to forgive when I'm feeling bitter like that is by remembering that I need an ocean of forgiveness. I need an ocean of sins to be forgiven. And when I acknowledge my own need of forgiveness, it just makes it simpler to give it out to others. And with everything that I've talked about today, I want to make it really abundantly clear that all the, all the, the ideas I'm talking about, about listening, about, uh, about being willing to listen, about forgiveness, about knowing why we believe what we believe, in no way have I suggested to you that the church needs to be less biblical. In no way am I suggesting that we need to, that we need to um, implant ourselves better to, to fit in with society to where the world loves us. No. In fact, the sign that the world hates, uh, the, the sign of the world hating the churches shows that uh, what Jesus said to be true, that the world will inevitably hate Christians. But what I am saying is that God, Jesus promised that we would be persecuted when we believe in him. He didn't say that we would be persecuted when we're obnoxious. And the church has been obnoxious. Christians have been obnoxious. And that is what I'm trying to get at in today's message. That there's so many more people that we could bring to the the truth of God, the love of Christ, by being reasonable with our faith. Knowing why, very well, why we believe everything in the Bible to be true. And I really believe that in all of this, that the, the most powerful key in today's message is this ending point, which is forgiveness. Because in the same way that people have been hurt by the church, there's definitely been people that have uh, attempted to hurt people in the church. And we must operate at a level of forgiveness like Stephen did. To where we don't hold a grudge against people that, that view life differently than us. 
that view the world differently than us, that view politics differently than us. If we hold a grudge against people like that, and we don't for, if we hold bitterness and unforgiveness against them, we will never be able to reach them for Christ. With that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today, and at some point in this message, in this talk, you just have this, this pulling within yourself that you need to make a decision for Christ. And maybe you've never even really understood why you believe what you believe. But, but today you have this pulling within yourself to put your trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it really clear. It says, one... If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What that means is, and if you have a conversation with him yourself and acknowledge what he has done, that he's the son of God that died on the cross for the world's sin, and most importantly, that he rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. And the most important part is the resurrection because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead then all of our faith is useless it means that our sins were never paid for and this is all a lie and so if you've never understood that your faith is founded in Jesus's resurrection and you believe in that resurrection and you want to make that kind of decision today with every head bowed and eye closed I want you to raise your hand see your hands so just there to yourself I want you to have that conversation with Jesus you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to him yourself. Have that conversation with him and let today be a day that you made a decision to have a relationship with God in your life, to start a journey with him. The word repentance, it means to change direction. And when you make a commitment to Jesus in your heart, when you put your trust in him, that is the, most, the, the first step of your journey when it comes to this idea of repentance, it's simply you were away from God and now you're turning towards God. That's what repentance is. It's very simple. Now, as you're having that conversation, if, you're, if the rest of you, if you're here, and in this talk today, you feel like the Holy Spirit was just ministering to you about being able to really connect with people even if they have a different belief system than you. God was ministering to you about how to reach people with the love of God. Maybe God was ministering to you about forgiveness. Maybe God was ministering to you about bettering your faith, growing your faith, and growing your knowledge of God and Scripture. And you just feel like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you today in that way, and this is what you needed to hear. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So God, right now I pray that you finish what you started in each person's life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would confirm and affirm each individual in their faith and that you just uh, uh, do a greater work in each person's life. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. 
I'll see you next time on the Grape Top Church Podcast.